Their goal is to bring you a podcast that sounds more like everyone else than anyone else. We need to accept the fact that we are like every other podcast. We want to be special, but we're not quite there yet. It's the Zenial Odyssey Podcast with Remy and Bobby Rocks. We're back, everyone. I'm alive. Bobby was dead for a week. I literally, uh, at some points clinically, at some points just metaphysically, and at other points just literally, my body was, my mind was, but my spirit wasn't. So Rem and I had to take a, a weekend off because I went to a bachelor party. I got way too drunk. and Bobby forgot he was fucking I, old. I, got, I forgot I was middle-aged. Yeah, uh, I did tell them that they would see old Bob behavior. Unfortunately, they did. Yeah, but uh, you meant old Bob as in young Bob behavior. Yeah, I did. Yes, yes, I yes. did. Yeah, I should have specified. Yeah, but then I got food poisoning a couple days later. Fucking. Uh, I, I mean, on the one side, I guess it's a good. It was a good time to take a staycation because I had all that time off to recover. So I did that show, and and Rem was working, so he couldn't do the show. Yep, I was lame, and I was still in the midst of the end of the food poisoning. So we did the show. It was a good show. Did it with uh, Jason Cox, my good friend, former Marine. He uh, talked about advocating for cannabis and psychedelics, and that's right up Rem's wheelhouse. Yeah, for real. So we then, will we will we will tap brains. Yes. soon. Yes, he'll be back on. He said he would come back on. He will come back on. Whether he's kind of one of those people, he likes to be in person. So it's a good thing I got three microphones because yeah. we, we can do that. So sure. anyway, he drove. He met me here. We drove. We went our separate ways. So when I'm driving home, I was still didn't. I had been eating. But I could tell my electrolytes were low, so I got a Powerade. Yeah. And so I drank the Powerade over the course of the whole episode that we were we were doing. So on the way home... Powerade uh, my, left. What's that? The Powerade evacuated itself. Yeah, but it, the story of itself is just is magical. So my wife had asked if I could stop and get her like ginger ale because my wife also got food poisoning as well. So we were just a lovely, miserable couple together. So she asked if I could get ginger ale and some crackers, uh, saltines. And I was like, okay, sure. So I'm driving like down the road, you know, do, 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 do. And I can kind of just feel like something's not right, but it doesn't feel terrible. Like I'm like, uh, like... But then, and I was burping a lot. And so one time when I burped, some Powerade came back up, but it was like, all right. So I rolled down my window and I just spit it out the window. Like I just turned to the side and was like, and then five minutes later driving down the road and then just the, the, the power, the Powerade floodgates opened. The Powerade of Christ compelled you? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when I told my wife this story, because she's like, what took you so long to get home? Because I told her I had to clean my car. She's like, so what happened? Did you pull over to puke? No. <laughs> did not no. have the opportunity, unfortunately. No, no, I did the whole drive puke. Yeah. So I had to stop while getting the ginger ale and the saltines. I then got Clorox wipes to wipe down the side of my car and the other side. And after that, I really stopped exerting myself. For like three days. So here we are. We're back. And we're back. I, I'm probably like 80% of the way back. It's more just fatigue from not eating and, and everything that makes me feel kind of like loopy. But, uh, you know, I'm ready to give it a go. Yeah, and I'm always depressed and fucked up. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> I never feel like I'm, he's I'm like, 100%. He's like, you were in the thralls of food poisoning. I'm in the, th- the thralls of depressive <laughs> Crippling disorder. depression. Of major depressive disorder. So we were, yeah, we were close yeah. to each other. And it's yeah. funny too, because I, I, I got a little bit sick this week too, but it's a nice 
story has just no relevance. It just was hot and I was overworked and I just fucking got sick for a day. Plus, there's a, tra- you know, it's a transition time for New Englanders. This is like the end of summer. Yeah, but this is like my favorite time of year because like I'm, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like it was summer to fall, my favorite time of year. Yeah, but we don't, I mean, I would argue that we barely even get fall anymore. It feels like it stays warm and then gets freezing. It's like fall. It's like summer to winter now. Eh, I'm fine with it. But I, yeah, fall's my favorite season too in New England. It's beautiful when it actually shows up. It, it's been oppressively humid here this last month. So I'm looking forward to cool night, campfire orgies, s'mores up the butthole, shit like that. What? Hey, everybody party's different, bud. What are, we, uh, what are we here to talk about today? Today we're here to talk about the complexity of the military-industrial complex and how that factors into the socioeconomic crisis of any time that's pertaining to I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Well, it's uh, funny you brought up the industrial-military complex because it reminds me of an Air Force base in Rome, New York. In the summer of 1999, where a bunch of money-hungry boomers decided to put on a festival for three days. Well, money-hungry boomers wanted to put on a festival for three days, and angry, white, suburban, chad frat boys needed to have a place to quell their simmering fucking hatred for everything. For themselves, for women. for themselves, for women, for different races. You're talking about trying to recreate. Now, a lot of people don't understand about Woodstock 99, for those who haven't picked up on what we were saying. There was a 94. A lot of people miss this aspect. So there was a Woodstock 94 that went amazing. Yeah. Because it wasn't monetized necessarily. Yep. They just tried it. It fucking worked. People were like, oh my God. And of course, the Woodstock. It was peaceful. It was enjoyable. It rained like the first Woodstock did. But nothing weird. Like, yeah. like we'll get into the debauchery of 99, but 94 made the motherfuckers who did it, who were the people responsible for the original Woodstock, to be like, oh, let's do this again, but let's fucking charge these motherfuckers. Okay, so what we're really talking about is we're really talking about the documentary that came out on Wood, uh, on Woodstock 99 that is on Netflix, and it's called Trashed. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it's called Trashed. They did a great job of giving that backstory to Woodstock 99, talking about Woodstock 94, talking about Woodstock 60... 68, 69? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, it must have been 69 because Woodstock 94 was the 25th year anniversary. Good call. 25th. 25th year anniversary. So the original promoter was always a part of every Woodstock. Yeah. A genuine guy, genuine guy. Like if you see the footage of him at Woodstock 69, it's one of the great things ever. He is unquestionably cool. Yes. Yep. He's like driving up on a motorcycle. And yeah, I put this... T-. But he's not pretentious. I have to yeah. stress that. He seems approachable. He's riding on a motorcycle. He's clearly riding on an LSD trip. Like, yeah. Like yeah. he looks kind of like an ugly version of Jim Morrison. Yep. But his energy in that initial clip is like, I'm like, oh, this guy's fucking amazing. And they're like, you're going to do it again? He's like, eh, if it works. Yeah. And he's... I ultimately... I don't... Because I don't want to jump the gun where I want to go with him. But... He ultimately is the epitome of what a baby boomer oh, is. Yeah. That that and that kind of gets what we'll go into that later on. Hippie yuppie. Yes, exactly. So he he got the idea to do it again. He teamed up with actual like modern day corporation corporate promoters. Yeah, promoters. Uh, and what is that guy's name? He's he's a very very very. He, we could just call him Pig Vomit for. Yeah, but look up here. look it up on the phone because yeah. we need to reference him because you yeah. know what? As much as the main guy was slightly responsible, this one motherfucker. I'm sorry, I can't name drop him yet. Bro, like, there are times in the documentary, not to get ahead of ourselves, where he's like, 
implying that the girls who had their clothes off, like, oh, yeah, victim shaming, wanted to get fondled. Oh, my fucking God, dude. Yep. For those who don't know, quick spoiler alert. Woodstock 99 probably had the most sexual assaults in an American incident at one place at one time. I would say that they're not documented, so there's no way to prove it, but there were hundreds of women assaulted at that fucking concert. Yes. I mean, you can watch any footage of the crowd from any point. Look it up. Look it up right now on YouTube and watch the crowd. You will see girls getting groped by strangers and getting pulled off shoulders, and it's fucking horrifying. But yeah, there was one guy who helped promote it, and... um, Everything that comes out of his mouth essentially is sickening. He The justification for every single thing that they did. And he, he fucking projects the blame onto everybody but himself. Oh, it's crazy. And then we haven't even touched on the fact that they upsold everything at 99. So oh, he, so, sorry. It was called Trainwreck. That was the name of the documentary on Netflix. There it is. Yep. Trash fire. Uh, so the original promoter that we were talking about, I believe, is Michael Lang. That's him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, may he rest in peace. He died earlier this year. Good. Yep. Uh, and then the promoter who I referred to as Pig Vomit was John Share. Yeah. Oh, Michael Langan bad. Yeah, I'm talking about John Share. John Share yeah, is a fucking Cher. devil, bro. Yeah, he is the devil. Yep. He is. He's the one who said we didn't make any money off Woodstock '94, so let's go in the complete opposite direction and have it make money at all costs. You yeah. know. Now imagine you brought you know 150 bucks for food and water. That's gone the first day. Yep. You're in an airfield with no shade, on concrete, tarmac, it's 105 to 110 degrees. You're drinking and drugging. You're not eating. Well, let's back it up a little bit and let's give a little let's give a little context. So the, the mini docu-series was three episodes because it was an episode for every single day mm-hmm. of, well, of the Woodstock Festival. Was, the Woodstock Festival has always been three days of peace, love. Well, at least that's what it's sold as. Uh, so the first episode kind of gives that backstory to... Woodstock 69, Woodstock 94, the meeting up of the promoters, the ideas of putting it together again. Yeah. And that's when they decided to, I don't, I think John Cher, he talked about, he chose the Air Force Base because he just saw it as like an all-inclusive place to contain people. Mm-hmm. It's like a mil, it's a military, it's a decommissioned military facility. So from a security standpoint, he was like, okay, we don't have to worry about people getting in that are not supposed to get in. Or There's whatever. hangers for different yep. entertainment groups. Yep. And to the and to the credit of the people that they hired, they saw that as an opportunity. Like they turned the, a hanger into the rave yep. after the bands were done every night. They turned it into the, the rave, the rave hangers. And I think that would have been fucking awesome to be a part of. I don't know how well I would have processed it at the end of a long, hot day of dancing and singing, though. Those motherfuckers are doing the good drugs that keep you fucking up for 30 hours. But that gets into the schematic problems that they created for themselves by doing it at an Air Force base. Yeah. Number one, it's an Air Force base. It's massive. They they put stages on opposite ends. Uh, I think I read somewhere that that was the equivalent of like walking two miles yeah. between stages. It's in the middle of the summer in upstate New York, which is like us, gets hot as, hot as hell. It's gross. Yeah. And... It's an Air Force base, so besides the hangars, what's there? There's no shade. Exactly. There's nothing. So you would think maybe they'd be like, oh, maybe we could set up sprinkler settings, or maybe we could set up all these things, but... Keep in mind, though, and like we didn't know this till this documentary, and then they showed the celebrities backstage. Yeah. And how they were. It was like misted tents, crab meat fucking fondue, ice cold drinks, and this was... Air conditioning. And this was, in some cases, 200 feet or 300 or 500 feet from people who were fucking just out of their minds, weren't getting proper food, weren't getting shade. You're talking about heat stroke, you're talking about exhaustion, you're talking about drug overdoses. Like, yo, for as much as Coachella is whatever it is, it's in a feat. Like, there's places people can go. It's not... Woodstock 99 was like a Mad Max film. Well, I think it turned into that, yeah. But, um... 
I think that it was a perfect epitome of the shift from the careless political safety of the 90s into Columbine and 9-11 America. Like, 99 was a shifting point in our country. And in a lot of ways, the epitome of that, the microcosm of that was Woodstock. That represented, we've talked about the decline of the Western civilization. Yeah, 100%. One thing I wanted to bring up, and there are uh, there are people that we, you and I both know that are into uh, professional wrestling, because I think professional wrestling plays into that whole kind of the zeitgeist of the late 90s, uh, because of, as they say in the wrestling world, like that was the quote-unquote ad attitude era of the WWE. Yeah. So one thing that I thought of is I thought of like the angst that comes along with that, like the extreme championship wrestling ECW. I love these. I love watching that stuff. I mean, cause it's just wild, but to see like that kind of masculinity coming out, then you have music that mirrors that in the late nineties coming out, this aggressiveness and it all creates a zeitgeist because the promoters at Woodstock 99, they had to get acts that were the it acts of the time. And at the time it was acts that attracted aggressive young men. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to realize, too, there was an interesting moment at Woodstock that a lot of people don't talk about that that I find. And remember, remind me to tell my personal story about my experience with Woodstock 99. But so I think it was maybe the first day and it was DMX's performance. And this was the height of DMX. And I'm sorry, I love DMX. I still do. Rest in peace, X. But he went out and asked the crowd, basically encouraged the crowd to sing certain lyrics to his songs that very heavily featured the N-word. And you're talking about a crowd of 90% white people. And so there was also a moment in the culture where a lot of people think that that was the moment. Because if you look at TikTok now or certain, you'll, you'll see that there are white kids who will lip sync it or use the word or use the similes of the word. And a lot of people think that that was a cultural change in that moment where they were empowered to do that and then they just carried it with them past it. Now, keep in mind, if you can look up DMX's performance, please do, because oh my God. But letting, you know, what, 200,000 white kids chant the N-word started the whole thing off on a very strange foot. I think that's a good jumping off point too, Renwell. We can play music and we come back and then we can start actually tackling the documentary, you know, one episode slash one day at a time. And when we come back, we will do that. So we'll take a quick break. We'll play you some tunes and then we'll come back and dive right in.
it's 99. I think I'm cool. Me and all my friends take mushrooms and do shit like that. And me and my good buddy, Brendan, had decided Woodstock was going to be the Woodstock of our generation. We just were convinced. We were idiots. And it felt right. So my thing was like, yo, dude, should we get tickets to this? And he's like, yeah, let's get, let's get tickets to this. Now, I'd never done a festival or anything like that. But, you know, young, not 99 pre-Woodstock had an energy. It felt hopeful. So we get the tickets. They're like fucking, you know, they're hung on the wall in a bag. We're counting the days till the show. Some shit goes on. I'm about three weeks off from uh, the actual concert. And he has a little, he has a little break, unfortunately, a mental break. And he ends up uh, taking his life. And so I was the one who had the tickets. And I was like, that immediately for me, it just wasn't a thing I was going to do. It wasn't something I was going to do alone. I didn't want to go with anyone else. So I ended up selling the tickets about a week and a half before the actual show to, to a couple of my friends. And honestly, I know now, like I'm a big proponent for just don't fuck with women. Don't molest. I know it sounds baseline, but some people aren't. Just don't fuck with women. Don't fuck with them in front of me, please. So I know that if we had been there, we would have one, been deeply traumatized by some of this shit and two, potentially gotten in some fisticuffs because we would have tried to stop behavior of crowds that we wouldn't have been able to stop because of their sizes. So it, it, it was the worst year of my life, but I realized that had me and him gone, put it this way, if he didn't kill himself before Woodstock, had he went, he would have killed himself after Woodstock for what it was. Really? Oh, without a doubt. Wow. So so for me, I was really close to experiencing that. And I remember, you know, me and Bob and a lot of people at that point, it was on like pay-per-view and it was on MTV all the, like mm-hmm. for that whole weekend. So a lot of us watched it and pretty quickly, I realized pretty quickly that, that for whatever reason, fate kept us from that show because that shit, nope. I'm glad you brought up MTV because one of my favorite things, because that was when I started to turn it, uh, yeah, at MTV, is when the crowd started throwing trash at them. And I was just like, yeah, but well, they're just showing you what you are. You're trash. But that was yes. the line, too, because they were like, we're down here miserable. We can't yep. drink anything. We can't. And you guys are up there like royalty. We can't even drink water because it's 12 fucking dollars yeah. a bottle. You know, people who, like I said, people who we're, showed up with $150. We're living in a time of 9.5% inflation in our country right now. And water isn't even like $4 a bottle. Yeah. No, it's crazy. This was 23 years ago, everyone, just to give you an idea. And you know some things that people don't talk about. Listen, if you're taking psychedelics and you're drinking, you need liquid. Yes. You need water so you don't get fully poisoned and die. Mm-hmm. So the fact that these people are on a tarmac eating drugs, by the way, from strangers, nobody was doing test kits yep. back then. Right. You can literally, like, does anyone else get sweaty and uncomfortable even talking about it? Like, it's literally a nightmare scenario. Yeah, so... I think a good thing to do here is to bring up how on day one, there was in the documentary, there were people talking about how they were going to the show. They were driving up and upon getting in, they took all your food and all your water. Emptied their bags. They would not let you bring in your own food and water that you brought. So basically what, like, let's go back to what John Cher said, you know, we're making money off of this thing. So at the point of, okay, you've already spent your hard-earned money on the tickets. You spent your hard-earned money to get to the show. You spent your hard-earned money on food to help ease the burden of the financial burden that now you're likely fuck gonna, you. yeah now fuck off yep yeah you saw that footage of them just emptying bags i did i did and you know what that would have been me and brendan we would have been under the intention that you could have brought stuff to camp too and we would have been fucked yep. and so then people were trying to find thank you for bringing that up people are trying to find places to camp mm-hmm. and they and just camping wherever because there's no shade there's nothing three miles from any of the stages because yeah. and then it's like all right and it's oppressively hot it's, it's, they're in the heat wave, so it's hotter than normal. And then, then you have the bands come on and you have 
the environment. So night night one, corn corn ended this end of the day. And uh, my favorite thing about that is the way the crowd looked. Oh my god! The wave, the wave, the just, wave of just, that shit gives yeah. me goosebumps, but terrifies me too because that's how you get trampled in crowds like that. Have you ever been to? Have you ever been in a in, in a corn crowd or corn pit? I was a corn with you. Yeah, but we weren't in the crowd. No, no. Yeah, yeah. What I mean is like I've been in I've been in a corn. Oh yeah, crowd I don't do like that, that shit now, but there yeah. was a um a nine inch nails and corn show where I got the fuck beat out of me. I loved it though. Yeah, and it's it's just such so if anyone has never experienced anything like that, you get caught up in the energy of that. And it's a wonderful thing. When it's like that, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful experience. It's, I, it's a, a wonderful group, cathartic release of energy. Group electricity. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's to me, when I was because when I was like 17, 18 years old, I didn't need to do drugs mm-hmm. when I had that because I was experiencing that. Yeah. Yeah. I still did drugs. I was an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, no. And Bobby's talking about the scenes where they would show the audience, right? And you'd see them moving like a body of water. It was yes. fucking remarkable. Yeah. They would move up and down at the same time. And it was like 100,000, right? 150,000 people or something. And it just, it looks like CG almost. Yeah, it doesn't look real. And then we already kind of highlighted it. But then the next, the next thing that would happen is they would open the rave hangar. And, well, wait, can I go back to one and of the moments? And on, and on night one, it wasn't the night that... The, the, the infamous yeah. night, yeah. Um, but I think that Woodstock 99 started, honestly. Good. My opinion. No, well, hey, hold on. God damn it. <laughs> Jesus, motherfucker's got to finish every sentence. No, I think that it started officially when Sheryl Crow took the stage and everybody started screaming, show your tits. Do you feel like that, that but that is also kind of miscasting? I understand the point of, of a festival like Woodstock, but yeah. do, do you feel like Cheryl Crow fit that bill? No, I don't yeah. think you have Cheryl Crow on the first day of, no. of, I think she ends the show on a Sunday maybe. But neither does James Brown, but I think James Brown's cool. That's like, cool, James Brown's though. cool though. Yeah. But you know, it's fucking, as interesting as though, to Cheryl Crow's credit, she said, y'all didn't pay enough for your tickets to see my tits. No, that just adds to the, that just adds to the, the fuel that's already started. But that was okay. where once the sexualization yeah. of women had set in without their consent, mm-hmm. it took over. But see, and I know that's the angle you're, you're going at with that. But what I mean is we've just described people who had to pay all this money to get there and then had their food taken from oh, them it's and a all that. Storm. And then And then here you have a celebrity saying you didn't pay enough money. Yeah. Like, and okay. that's the divide. Yeah. 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 That's why I need, yeah. within the first day they're like, oh, yeah, the music's good, but fuck these assholes. Yeah, exactly. And so while all this is going on, they're doing... Uh, I think every morning promoters would do like a news press release. They would do thing. a press release with uh, the media. And so obviously after the first night, that press release is like, oh, wow, this is really great. And it's just like, oh, yeah, it's all that great. And the great thing about the documentary Trainwreck is you have people who went to the show. You have artists. You have the journalists. promoters. You have journalists. You have people who documented it because they brought VHS cameras. And you had all these people who were giving their all their different perspectives of what's going on. How is that one MTV DJ so fine still? Because she got out of the game, she got After out of the Woodst- mo- she got out of the machine. I'm sorry, not the game. The After machine. Woodstock, yeah. yeah, yeah. She was beautiful in her time on on MTV, and she was beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, they, they interview on her. I, I I won't mention her name because we just we don't want her to feel less than or anything, you know. So yeah, Bobby's right. The first day was like, guys, we did it, but they yep. fucking celebrated too early.
you had vendors who ran out of supplies. Mm-hmm. So naturally, what did the other capitalistic vendors do? Raise price the gouge. Yep. They price gouge you. But that's not where I want to start. Okay. I want to start with the presser. And it's like, kumbaya, all's happy. And it was. And then we cue to the fact that the heat wave hasn't let up. It's actually gotten hotter. And we have literally, it looks like, it looks like skid row. Yeah, it does. Like people who didn't even have tents who literally are finding like whatever to cover themselves. Yeah, they're like they look, sitting under. They look dead. And then on the morning of day two, we're not even halfway through this festival. The bathroom's fucked up. So now we don't have bathrooms. Bro, that, we, I can't wait to talk about the um, the drinking water. And, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's so much fun. I know this is horrible to say, but it's so much fun to talk about because it is so mishandled at every fucking yeah. Step. That it went from being, oh, this could be bad to a perfect storm. You know what, Bobby? I'm going to give this to you. Give me your thoughts on how they set the lineup of these live acts. The only way I can describe what's what's about to happen is it's a perfect storm of things. Mm-hmm. You have these people who have been price gouged on their way in, had their things taken from them. They don't have shade. Now they don't have plumbing. They're high. They, they They're on drugs they are feeling the after effects of that. You have angry, toxic men. They're overheated. Young, young men there. You have aggressive acts. Mm-hmm. And then at the height of all this, when the temperature's at its hottest, when everything's hitting that threshold, they bring, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they bring who is the hottest act of the time onto the stage. Limp Bizkit. Yeah. They and are, don't forget, even before that, there were a couple like Kid Rock was before. Yep. Too, there was some real aggro energy. Yep. But it, but to me, it all culminates with oh, without Limp Bizkit at the hottest point of the day. The sun's still out. And they what have a, a song. Set, they have a song called Break Stuff. What a great, and I can almost, I'll almost tell you verbatim what he says. Give me your song. It's a great song. Yep. But like, they just start playing the riff. And they'd already warned Fred. Fred, listen, man. This crowd is So, so what you're crazy. saying is egomaniacs and, put their ego above another egomaniacs and thought it would work out. And, like, and at the end of the day, I'm sorry, but Fred looked at it and said, this is going to be the best fucking show I think people yeah. have ever seen. Yeah. And he, would, looked, he looked at that moment. This is where, as much as I think he's, he, he's a, I don't know how to describe him. I, I know... I know uh, at some point, even in 99, 2000, I hated him. Yeah. But you know what? He had an eye for the moment and he saw that moment. He said, I'm not passing it up. And so so they, I'm not going to judge him. I'm not going to knock him for that. So they ask him not to play break stuff, but come on, man. Yep. And that's the oldest trick in the book. You ask Elvis Costello not to play on SNL. He plays the song on mm-hmm. SNL. You ask, the doors, you ask the doors on Ed Sullivan not to play. No, no, not to play Light My Fire. Not to say we can't get much higher. And then he emphasizes yep. that. You know, you yep. ask Rage Against the Machine on BBC to not do the fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Yep. They do it live kick the amps over so yep. so he saw an opportunity but there was that beginning riff that he's like y'all ever had a day where shit's just not going right and he does this five minute monologue about like let's give credit to the fact that he's the opposite of cheryl crow in this moment <laughs> no, for real. like he's in he's in everybody he because at that point there's they're not they're honestly not big enough that they're that he they that most of them don't view themselves as the crowd yeah and he takes that again seeing the moment he saw the moment and was like here we go and like once that song crescendos, I mean, what are people gonna do? Start breaking shit. I mean, it's just they focused on this tower that was in the middle, that was like a filming tower. Yeah. And it just turned it turned Mad Maxi. And again, to, to say that, I apologize, but they're they're climbing this fucking tower, ripping the structure down, ripping off boards. A board makes it to the front. Fred fucking Durst surfs on a wood board singing the song and i'm sorry no, nothing nothing as far as imagery is ever gonna no it, it, that. it was fucking cool it would it would have been great if that's the lasting image we had of woodstock 99 no i know but that that was also the turning point yeah because that yep. was when the angst reached a million yep he fed that angst 
And as much as it was good, I also think that that might have been the tone, the moment in the audience when stuff got more vitriolically sexual, vitriolically sexual toward yep. the women. And before we get into the, before we get into Fatboy Slim mm-hmm. in the in the rave hangar, I want to also talk about the bands that came on after Limp Bizkit. Yeah, wasn't it just fucking all aggression? Wasn't it like Meta- no, Metallica? Metallica closed night two, and you know who who went on. Between Limp Bizkit and Metallica, I remember Rage. Oh, Rage yeah. Against the Machine went on. Speaking of fuck you, I don't want to do it to show me. Yeah. yeah. So this crowd now has the Limp Bizkit show, which just yeah, like Rem said, that just sets the energy. They they said it in the documentary, but it's true though because I've I've been there. If a show crescendos at a moment and you no longer have that show for the energy release, it's bad. It's going to release itself somehow. Mm-hmm. So you think it tops there and then Rage Against the Machine comes on the stage and then Metallica comes on the stage and then they go to the rave tent or the, sorry, the rave hangar. And to Fatboy Slim's credit, he, he sees the moment too. He sees the moment too. And, yeah. and he goes, well, I gotta, I gotta do this. And he's just going absolutely bonkers and the crowd's going bonkers. And they're talking about like, like, like orgies everywhere and drugs everywhere. Everywhere you look, fucking. everywhere you look, it is just, it is uh, but all that stuff is to, at least it's presented to us like it's consensual stuff. Yeah. It's contained. And then all of a sudden there's what, six grown men pushing a van through the crowd. And so they have to kind of, they have to stop the set at that point and they have to get the van out of there because yeah, it's a safety risk. It was crazy to see. Like, and then they go to the head security guy. Oh, this and gets this, bad. This and this guy. I, this I, I know we've given John Cher, uh, we've given him and Mike Lang a little bit of little bit of ire so far. This guy deserves a lot of ire. Yeah, he just didn't realize how casually he said something so fucked up. This guy goes over and he gets rid of the crowd. He gets rid of them and he goes into the van and he sees... Trigger warning. And he sees, yes, trigger warning. He sees an underage... He sees what he can clearly tell is a girl who's like... 13. 13 years old. Mm -hmm. Completely naked and a guy putting his pants on. You don't have to take a a logical step to realize what the fuck just went on. And other people... And she's passed out. Other people were trying to get in to get to her. Yeah. And and you know what he he did? He, He stops and gets the van out of there and then just lets them go on their way yeah nothing like you're the head of fucking security asshole that's why i know i would have gotten killed at that fucking show because i would have just nah man and and then it got so it was getting so intense that even fat boy slim had to cut it short he's like wait like he felt the energy go from what he thought was fun and then he realized this isn't what i thought and to his credit he tried to get it back yeah and like you can see that he was kind of disturbed at the end of the set he was like like he saw the vehicle in the crowd he didn't know that people were pushing it so it looked like people were gonna get fucking run over yep there are people surfing on the top of it yep. it was like you know what it was it was shangri-la turned into just sodom and gomorrah yep. that's what woodstock was yeah and so now let's go to the next morning the well, wait morning. let's go back because what we have to think at this point unfortunately is because that girl was being assaulted at that point that shit was starting to be really widespread in that audience what you need to understand is if you were even a pretty girl with your top off by the way that's fine that doesn't give anybody any right to fucking touch you but if you look at woodstock footage Girls who didn't have clothes on getting groped. And they're getting tossed around. Off. The, yeah, tossed yep. around in the crowd. Any girl that fucking crowd surfed got digitally raped, got finger raped. I hate to be vulgar, but I'm just telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. And so the tide with Biscuit, unfortunately, it also kind of captured a sexual aggression. And I think that. Wasn't well, that always the primal thing underneath? The, yeah, yeah, but I don't think they ever thought it would come to a head in a place like that. Because, like, you know, I mean, I went to a corn show with fucking Bob this year, and like, bro, look at. Remember how I looked at the end of corn? They did like a two hour set, and I was like, dead because i'm an old guy and i go nuts yeah i can't fathom three days of that without dying but i i think yeah i do think that night with biscuit and all those bands i think that the tide turned
morning presser of day three. The press the is press, essentially like, what the, the fuck, and dude? The, because the press was there. Mm-hmm. Most of them are there. They're, and they're just, it's not a, we're hearing this stuff. It's, it's pointed questions. We want to talk to you about this, this, and this. And they basically. It's an isolated I, incident. Everything's really fine. If you look at the overall, fine. if you look at the overall night, there were no problems. And it's like, whoa, bro. No problems. Your head of security allowed a rapist to go free and didn't even, didn't even check to see if that girl needed medical attention. Multiple. I mean, you, there are, if you go into the stories deep enough, there are so many stories. I just, but I know, Rem, but I bring that one up because he physically stopped the van from coming in. He physically saw it. He physically, he knew what was going on and just let it go. Yeah. And then, so they say this and they're blaming it on the stereotypical, well, they're just some quote unquote bad apples, bad young men in the crowd. And that dude we hate, don't forget, he kind of was like, well, he kept bringing up the fact, right? He kept bringing up how delighted he was to see young women naked. He's like, oh my God, so many of them were naked. No, don't get me wrong, Rem. Uh, as a young man, and even today, if, if I go to a show and a woman flashes her breast, yeah, it's like, a good time. Yeah, but you know what? I'm not going to grope them. I'm just going to say thank you. There was this real sense of like, it was projection and denial by the people hosting it at that point because it, it had already gone. And by the yeah. way, was the shit drinking second day or did that happen? It's the th- end, end of day two, beginning of day, th- the beginning of day three is when the health department came in, tested the water, shut it down dude so people were if you watch the footage of the people running in the mud next to the porta potties that's not mud that's not mud that's how fucked these people were in sunburnt by day three yeah everyone was over it and there was still another day of festival ahead of them yeah and that's that was the fucking less concessions so bigger price gouging yeah, it was, it was, you know, and at that point, everybody was, it's day three. You sunburnt as fuck. You're exhausted. You've probably got... The heat wave hasn't let up. <laughs> you've probably gotten in some arguments with some people around you, shit like that. And I think that just culminated with them essentially being like, fuck these people. Wow. They did this to us. We came here thinking it was going to be peace, love, and happiness or whatever. And it just wasn't. It was fucking awful. And by day three, people were done. And so we have the closing act of Woodstock. Let me stand next to your fire. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, yeah, they did. Wasn't there a, uh, a, there was like that group of peaceful people who were passing out the, the candles? Oh, that was the Whoa, problem. that was a, well. It wasn't peaceful. I mean, it was, but it was actually suicide prevention. And they were going to do this really cool thing at the end of the show where everybody held up candles for people who've taken their lives. It was a great idea, but no one fucking thought it through. No, not after two days of... And then let's have... And I'm going to be honest. I've seen two Red Hot Chili Peppers show where those motherfuckers really enjoy starting riots. I don't know why. They just do. But yeah, they were specifically asked. Wasn't it the uh, the mayor of Rome? Rome, New York. He's like, please, man. Like- Can you please tell the crowd to calm down? Anthony Kiedis very poignantly, uh, and I would have done the same thing. He, he would have looked at him and was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. You know, they're already wound up. I mean, yeah, you could have said, don't go out there and play fire. But I mean, you know, you they're, can- the re- they're the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And, you know, I would argue, too, I totally skipped over this, but Nine Inch Nails, that set was fucking amazing. And that was when they, the mud and shit was getting thrown. I just remembered that. But, um, you know, it, it culminates how you think it's going to culminate. Mm-hmm. What happens when you light a powder keg and you sit back? Yep. And then literally Woodstock burned. Yeah, yep. they fucking tore it from its foundation. Yep. They just, they, they'd had enough. And for Mike Lang and John Share, who had been denying what had been going on the whole time, uh, Monday morning, there's no denying that. Yeah. It was just There's no denying that the footage was terrifying too. I mean, the, it really the footage was. when it was over, and everyone just went into full like riot mode. That footage is is pretty terrifying. They go on the trucks, they steal yep. all the shit, they, they blow up the trailers, they they storm the merchandise tents and the ATM machines, and just 
Oh yeah, they were literally tore the ATM machine to the ground and we're all trying to open it. Like, yeah, I, I, and it's funny to me that after that, festivals blew up in the country, but that's yeah. because people looked and said, oh, we can do this differently. Like, yep. I don't fuck with festivals. I'm not a three-day yep. concert guy. I just, it's not my shit. No, me neither. But you know, there's so many now, Coachella obviously at the heart of it. And it's like, you figure post-99, people would have been terrified yeah. to do another one. But ultimately, it seems to be a lot more contained and controlled now, you know? Yeah, and I think a valuable lesson, at least for people like us, except for that piece of shit John Jair, yeah. uh, is that when you put capitalism above well-being and safety, safety of people, and then your festival literally burns to the ground on the third day, yeah. uh, you you can look in a fucking mirror instead of blaming the crowd. Like, bl- like there was a lot of, there's a lot of questioning at the end of the doc documentary to me the questioning is kind of like well was it just the people and this is kind of this is the for example when people ask that i go it's very lazy of you to just say oh yeah it's a generation of people who are just this what do you just what that just literally sat there and said like what two hundred thousand people of one generation decided let's go to rome new york and rape women and burn a festival to the ground is is that what you're saying is that is that is that what two hundred thousand people did there was nothing related to that like you stealing their food from them like you forcing them to go broke many we're talking about like 18 19 20 21 22 didn't i mean i didn't have a lot of money i still have a lot of money my point is like i didn't know that was a big thing yeah 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 yeah, exactly like that was a lot of money too that was don't, the don't, most i ever spent it was don't, like a video game system don't pass the buck take your share of the blame but you know what but they're boomers i was about to say what is more boomer than projecting every fucking thing you did wrong onto younger people but you know thankfully the one thing we can say is they haven't tried to repeat it again those motherfuckers yeah i'll be honest with you if they did it would probably work i don't mean it would work it would go well i believe that people would go to it and repeat it i do I believe if they announced one right now that was like the lineup of the century, old and new acts, I I think people just, society kind of, I worry that they don't learn. I think in our social media era that we find ourselves in, and especially on the heels of a documentary on Netflix. The Fire Festival too, remember? Yeah, but I feel like people would try to purposely up the ante. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are those people. You see it at festivals now. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Who was the artist that literally people were pelting with? He's a a decent-sized artist, and he just said, like, fuck you guys, and he just walked off stage. Kid Cudi, my favorite. Was it it Kid Cudi? Yeah. Yeah, like... That was my favorite. That's my favorite dude, bro, and he filled in for Kanye, and it was another example. It's a great... Actually, that was a great example. Thank you for bringing that up. He's doing fucking the Rolling Loud. And because assholes are assholes. And this is a new thing, man. I've been at shows that people have stopped because of bottles. Like, it's a new thing for some reason. The new generation loves whipping people and fucking bottles and rocks. I don't get it. But he said, yo, next person who hits me with a fucking bottle, I'm, I'm stopping the show. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. gonna, I'm not performing here to get pelted. And then, bam, someone hits him with the bottle and he's like, yeah. And then you hear the booze for the people who aren't around, the people who are people doing that. watching it to cheer. Yeah. I'm like, that's my boy, man. Yeah. Don't fuck with your heroes man i but i also have this this feeling too is that you're you're always going to get a minority number of people at whatever it is a sporting event a musical festival what have you a, a gathering of a lot of people who are there just to cause mayhem yeah ozfest 2001 was that moment for me at a musical show where i had moments where i didn't feel safe yeah i think um, for me was was 2001 deftones and original black sabbath lineup yes yeah for me too it was the yep. same exact one bro yep i was at the show the day that the guy had his eye gouged out Ooh. yep that happened in mansfield massachusetts yes yeah, it did people no i know uh when system of a down who at that time was that what they were in the role of like limp biscuit yeah like they had toxicity 
Timothy was about to drop. Chop Suey had just hit the, the, the airwaves. When System of a Down would take the stage, they were saying things like, we want to see the lawn go flying. Yeah. And the crowd did. So that was on day one. And day one, it was hot, but it was raining. So the ground was extra loose. So yeah, just... So uh, they decided on the day that I went, which was a day that was about 100 degrees, they decided that would be... It would be a great idea to put sod down. Oh, Jesus Christ. So yeah, we had... Yeah, we had... Now sod we had fights. Projectile weapons. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, again, the price gouging. I remember they were trying to... Lim- so my friends and I, when we would go to shows like that, we would always cook out in the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, before. We would always get food in us. We would do these things so we didn't have to worry about that. And they were really trying to limit that and force you. They were getting the police to force you into the show. And that was fine. I remember by the end when Black Sabbath did their encore. Yeah. Taking off. The other thing, too, to remember is they put, uh, come, my lady, you're my pretty oh, lady. Oh, crazy town. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. I felt bad for them. I, I felt bad for them for just having to go out there and, and just deal with that crowd. So People Slipknot was on that bill. Yeah. And so somebody stole the drummer's drum kit. Oh, that's not cool. And so they had to use a uh, another band's backup drum kit. Yeah. So naturally, that set was about as aggressive as a set as you can imagine. They were pissed. Yeah. And then System takes the stage. It's it's just wild. It's just yeah. And then Sabbath. That's the closest I've probably come to experiencing something like what went on at Woodstock. Yeah, I had a couple um, instances at Ozfest. I had some guy come out of the crowd. I remember fucking shirt missing, fucking blood going down his face. Comes out, fucking walks right up to me, takes my blunt out of my mouth, smokes. He's like bleeding on it. He's looking me right in the eyes. And, he, and I'm like, oh, this motherfucker is looking to fuck someone up so bad. And there's not a lot of times in my life. I have, I'm a fucking idiot. I have a lot of pride. But I just assessed that moment. And I was like, I have to look like a bitch in front of all these people right now because it's not going to have a good outcome for me. I was like, keep it. That was the only way I saved face. I had like nine of them, so it was fine, but I was like, keep it. What the point I'm making is it shows like that, you can feel it when the energy goes from fun to a little bit dangerous. And huge shows, the right things aren't always prioritized. But um, yeah, I mean, Woodstock 99, bro. Yeah, it's uh it's set in history, set in time. Hopefully we never do it again, but capitalism is capitalism, so who fucking knows? But um, I guess we could jump off there. Yeah, uh leave it, leave it for you guys, kind of discuss, discuss with us, discuss amongst yourselves. I'd love to, yeah. Uh, I'd love to yeah. get a, I mean, a firsthand story from the inside would probably be pretty powerful. So if any of you guys know anybody or want to come on, let us know. All right. Until the next time, everybody, take care. And remember, give me something to break. So I feel like perhaps we should talk about idiocracy. Yeah, I feel like, you know, me and Bob have been talking about this for a while. It was made by Mike Judge, famously who made Beavis and Butthead, King of, King of the Hill, and Office Space. I want to give a little background to Idiocracy. Okay. If we think about it, it's the modern day's take on Brave New World and The Time Machine. Oh, I like yeah. it.
yeah, he's he's a zeitgeist dude. Somehow that movie only becomes more pertinent. When I had my website, I had a contest. Whoever pitches me the best article, I'll write that article and give you writer's credit. He was like, how about the fact that idiocracy came true? The other big theme that emerges from that is when you have a complacent society. Oh, of course. That's the yeah, biggest that's problem. Mind, that's all. mindless. Don't give a fuck. You do whatever you, whatever you want. That's the problem with things like social media. We're at a crux right now. Find the XOP on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, our Facebook page, or YouTube.